Today's daf is Mem in Masechet Betza, final daf of Masechet Betza. We'll begin on Lametet Amud Bet, three lines from the bottom of the Amud, with the new Mishnah Mishayu, if a person had fruit in another city, people in that city where it was located made an Eruvet Tuchumin in order to bring him his own fruits on Yom Tov. In that case, they can't do it because he didn't make an Eruv for himself. So therefore, since those items were left outside of his own personal Tichum at the beginning of Yom Tov, even though they belong to him, um, people who made an Eruv in that city cannot bring him his fruits when he himself could not access them. However, if he made an Eruv for himself, so then they would be allowed to, in other words, since they were accessible to him because he could have gone there if he wanted to, then they could bring them to him. If somebody invites over guests, they should not take home the leftovers after the meal. Why? Because they're going to take it outside the tchum beyond what the owner of the home, what the host was able to go. Unless he transferred ownership of all of the food to the guests from before Yom Tov. So that way it will go by their tchum and not his. So if they have a tchum that extends beyond what he, the host, would be able to walk, they would still be able to take the food because it belonged to them from before Shabbat, from before Yom Tov. And it was under their tchum and not his. The Gemara says, Idmar, we said, we said as follows. If a person leaves fruits with his friend, that according to Rav, the tchum of, the, of that, that food goes by the one who is who has it near him, meaning the person that you deposited it with. Ushmuel says, no, the owner is the one whose tchum is the determinate one, the one that determines here. Now seemingly, Rav and Shmuel could just be consistent with their reasoning elsewhere. At the time we learned in a Mishnah, and, um, and it says, uh, right, we, said, we learned in a Mishnah as that... Uh, that the Tanakhama said, if you bring your ox into the uh, uh, courtyard of somebody and or uh, their yard, and it's with their permission, so the tacit assumption is, the implicit assumption is that they're taking responsibility for it. And uh, Rashi says, So in other words, that... Uh, if the person brings his uh, his uh, his ox and uh, the uh, it says in that case, well, and he brings other items too. You brought your ox, your pots, your fruits, whatever, into the person's chater. So it sounds like from the fact that he allowed you to leave it there that he's taking responsibility for it. Rabbi Omer, no, he's not going to be liable unless he explicitly said I'm taking responsibility. So we could say the same thing here. That according to Rav, the halacha follows the chachamim. That automatically, when you bring something into somebody's property and it's with their permission, they're accepting responsibility. And so to here, if you deposit your fruit with somebody, their tachum is going to be the determinative one. Shmuel says, no, the halacha follows Rabbi, meaning that since the person who with whom you deposited the items didn't specifically say, I want this to be uh, under my control, Therefore, they're not responsible for them. And so, too, in this case, they're not going to be responsible. Their tuchum is not going to be the one that determines uh, the parameters for that fruit. 
Now, so it makes sense that since we see over there in that machloket that Shmuel and Rav argue, Rav taking the position that automatically by depositing the, uh, you know, the uh, ox with this person, they're automatically taking responsibility. So that's what the halacha is over there, and that will also be the halacha with regard to tchum, that when you give something to somebody to watch, it automatically adapts the tchum of the shomer, of the person watching it, and Shmuel will say no. That I hold like Rabbi, that since the person didn't explicitly say I'm taking responsibility for these items, they don't get responsibility, and so too, if I give something to somebody, since they didn't explicitly say I want these to be under my tchum, it's not going to go under their tchum. And that would seem to flow perfectly. However, the problem is it doesn't necessarily work that way. Because Rav will tell you that my position regarding Tuchum would fit even with Rabbi. Why? Because uh, over there, what is Rabbi saying? Rabbi is saying that uh, a person will not automatically res- accept responsibility unless they say so. But, uh, but here, uh, and, and therefore we don't assume that he has responsibility. But here, the person received the, the fruit from you, and they were willing to watch it, so therefore they also, their techum is the one that gets adopted. And Shmuel says, no, my idea about techum will apply even for the rabbis, because Why? Because over there, with regard to the ox, leaving it in the yard of the person, why do I assume that, autumn, that, uh, that over there, uh, the ra- why do the rabbis over there say that the owner of the, fee- the of the courtyard that allowed you to leave your ox automatically is getting the responsibility for it? Because the person wants to have their uh, responsibility transferred to the owner of the courtyard who's going to be there and so on. But over here, just because I'm asking you to watch something for me doesn't mean I want the things to whom to be determined by you. Maybe I want it to be determined by me because I'm going to come pick it up on the Yom Tov and use it. So when it comes to the ox, of course I want, if I'm leaving my ox somewhere, I want the person who is there at home to be responsible for it. But I wouldn't say the same thing here with regard to my fruit and the tehum of the fruit. So therefore it doesn't necessarily follow. It's not... In the Mishnah said, if a person has fruit in a different city and he made an Eruvet Chumin that would have allowed him to go to that city to get those fruits, so then the fruit has his Tchum. But if you're saying that with whomever I left the fruit, they are the ones that determine the Tchum, so then the Mishnah doesn't make any sense because the Mishnah is saying that if I own fruits in another town and I couldn't reach that town on the Yom Tov, so then wherever the people are who are in that town, it's going to be on them. But if I made an Eruv, then they could even, and they made an Eruv also, they could bring the fruits all the way to me and I could use them. But the problem is, why should my Tehum help? Right? Because we're saying that the Eruv is only relevant to, uh, meaning my if I deposit something with somebody else, only their Eruv is important, not mine. So the, so it says, because we're talking about where it had a specific designated area in the other city that belonged to him. So so his tehum is the one that's determinative because it had a specific area that it was designated. We also said that if a person invites over people for Yom Tov meal, he can't send them home with the leftovers. Unless he gave it over to them, before Yom Tov, he transferred ownership of the food to them Erev Yom Tov so that it would follow their Tuchum and not his. If you're saying that wherever an item is, whoever's in charge of it and watching it, that's the Tuchum that determines. So It won't help to, to, to uh, take the food and say this food belongs to my guests who are coming tomorrow. Why not? Because you would say like, 
Basically, the problem is that since it's in my, I'm the host, let's say, since it's in my property, so therefore it's under my tachon. But it says, yeah, but here, since you designated, since you transferred ownership of the food to them legally, it's like you designated a special place for it. You gave it its own identity that is, a, that is connected to them and not to you. And that's why it's able to take on their tachon. Just like we said before, that if the people in the other town set aside an area for your fruits, so then you can be the one to determine the tachon of those fruits. Alternatively, you could say that the mere fact that the person uh, transferred ownership is a different level, and um, and uh, it's a uh, even though in that case it's in my possession, meaning it's on my property. The fact that I went and I de- and I actually transferred ownership legally takes it off of me and puts it on them. One time, of had a piece of meat that he hung on the doorpost, meaning he had a question about a certain meat that they brought him because the the meat was brought. He was staying in a certain city, and they brought and the butchers brought him some meat. And really, he was, uh, he had a problem because the techum, his own techum was different than the techum of the people who brought him the meat, but they brought it to him before Yom Tov. So the question is whether he was able to take this meat with him now, because he had a techum, but they didn't have a techum. So it's a, the, in other words, they didn't, have, he was going to go back to his own city where he had a tuchum, uh, tuchum to go to, but they would not be able to carry it there. And it was theirs, really. So whose tuchum is the one that is going to be definitive here? If you're the one who hung it up on the doorpost, then that's enough. That shows that it's yours and you can take it. But if they were the ones who hung it there, don't take it. Right, But even if he's the one who hung up the meat, how could he take it? Ravuna was a student of Rav. That according to Rav, it always goes by the person who was the original possessor of the item. So, uh, I mean, I'm sorry, the, uh, the person in whose domain the item is. So if that's the case, meaning even if he hung up the meat on the uh, on the doorpost himself the fact is that um they that they uh <clears throat> that it, it's considered to be on their in their territory it's considered to be in their uh in their domain and therefore they should be the ones who uh who, who's to, to whom is determinative there but meaning even if um, you could say that it's really still in the domain of the people of that city who gave him the meat. The fact that it was put on a doorpost, whether they hung it there or he hung it there, doesn't even matter. The fact is that um, that uh, uh, since there's a separate doorpost, that makes it like he had his own domain and he was able to be the one to determine the tchum of the item in his own domain. Is it really true that even if, even if the people of the town had hung it on the doorpost, why can't he take it? We said earlier that if you have a, a, a butcher who sells to people from far and wide and people come from all over the place and some of them have a tchum further than maybe what the butcher would be able to go and so on, we say that Whoever buys it, whoever takes the item on Yom Tov is allowed to take it back to their place. Another question. How could you say that if the butchers hung it, that he wouldn't be able to take it? Didn't we say that Rabbi Dosa 
and um, as we learned earlier, that if if you have a shepherd, that there's only one shepherd in the town, so since everyone knows only one shepherd in the town, so the sheep go like his um, that his that are going to go like his uh, tchum, the tchum of the shepherd, because everyone knows that they're going to give it to the shepherd. Um, and similarly here, since it was transferred over to uh, in this case. Uh, to some, to on purpose, and it was not something which, uh, it, meaning Rav Chana Bar received it as a gift from them, so clearly they intended it to be his. So another question: How could you say? Oh, I'm sorry, I skipped one line, right? Um, we also that meaning even if. He, uh, they uh, hung it. Can he really not uh, not take it? But we said that we always say that animals and vessels go by the person who owns it. And in this case, um, even if he never touched it, but they hung it for him, they were giving it to him to be the owner. So what's the problem? Rather, wasn't because. Uh, it wasn't because of the issue of Tichum that he had a problem with the meat. It was because he left the meat unattended. And we have an issue of Basar Shnitalim and the fact that the meat was hidden from his view for a certain amount of time and therefore would have an issue of Kashrut. And that's why it said, It's a totally different issue. In other words, it's not an issue of Tichum with regard to Tichum for sure. Whoever put it there, whether he hung it there or they gave it to him, it wouldn't make a difference uh, because it was definitely transferred into his ownership, into his domain. That's not even a question. And the fact is that even if, um, it, we, it would go even further, that even if they hadn't given it to him before, the fact that uh, it was they were butchers that sold in a far and wide market, um, if, if he were, even if he were to come take it on the Yom Tov, he'd be able to take it all the way home if he wanted to. That wouldn't have even been an issue. But the issue was the issue of Basar Shnitalem and Ayin. We have a rule that if meat is hidden from view, nobody's watching it for even a short amount of time, it becomes a problem halachically to be able to eat that meat. And so that's why he was told, if you hung it yourself on the door, then you'll be able to recognize the meat and therefore you can still consider it kosher. But if you didn't hang it yourself, they hung it for you, then you don't have, you can't, uh, you don't have a way to identify that piece of meat yourself and you would not be able to, uh, to eat it anymore because of kashrut reasons. The Mishnah says, You cannot give water and slaughter um, animals of the desert. However, the domesticated ones, you can. What are considered to be the uh, domesticated? Those are the ones that sleep over in the city. So sim- seemingly what it means is that animals that sleep every night within the place that the human beings are living. So they're considered domesticated and they're not muktzeh. There's something that those are the animals you're thinking of slaughtering, but the ones that sleep out in the um, far pastures and they never come in, in a, you know, to sleep where human beings are. So they are considered to be out of sight, out of mind. They're going to be muktzeh and you wouldn't be able to slaughter them. So it says, Why does it mention giving water to the animals and slaughtering them? It's teaching a different point. That before you slaughter an animal, you should give it to drink because that actually facilitates the skinning. It, the extra hydration allows the skinning to happen more readily after you slaughter the animal. But really, it's mainly about the shechita here. Here are the, this is the definition of the desert animals. And what, what's the definition of midbariot and baitot? Midbariot, koshiot, 
Midbariot, the desert ones are the ones that go out to pasture on Pesach, and they don't come back until around Cheshvan, until now. We, right, the Rishonah, the, the first rain. Veloin baitot, what are the domesticated koshiotot v'ra'ot chutzat chum? The ones that go outside the chum, they just, they leave the city. Uba'ot v'lanot v'dochat chum, but they always sleep within the city limits. So, that's considered domesticated. That's what you could use on Yom Tov. Rebi Omer, elo v'elo baitot, no, even the ones that go out from Pesach time till Mar Cheshvan, they're also considered to be domesticated. Ela, Eloin Bariot, what's considered a desert animal? All that's considered a desert animal is an animal that goes out and never comes back. Not in the winter, not in the summer, it never comes back. It never comes to the Yeshuv, it never comes to the area where human beings are residing. This Mishnah is implying, or this Baita is implying that Rabbi has an opinion about Muktzeh because he's saying that these animals would be Muktzeh if they are out, if they never come into the uh, domain of human beings. So, One time Rabbi Shimon, the son of Rabbi, asked Rabbi himself, which according to Rashi are dates that never become fully ripened. So, Rabbi Shimon, what's the status of them according to Rabbi Shimon? And Rashi says, They never become uh, ripened on the trees. Basically, you can make stuff out of them. Um, uh, what, what happens is you can take them off the trees and then you make like a container for them and you put it in this container and eventually they could ripen after a while, but right now they're not ripe yet is the point. Right? They, they, would, make, uh, they would make a... Uh, a special container that they would put them in and wait a long time. But what about the status of them when they're not ripe? So, so the point is that Rabbi Shimon, the son of Rabbi, asked them about the original Rabbi Shimon and said, according to him, what would he say about these dates? And he said to him, according to Rabbi Shimon, the only thing that's considered is um, dates and figs that you've put, uh, I'm sorry, raisins and, uh, and uh, figs that you've put on the roof that you've completely set them aside to be dried in the sun and you have nothing to do with them right now. But these dates that are not yet ripe, they were they had a retarded growth and now you've put them in a container to complete the maturation process, they're not going to be mukta according to Rabbi, according to Rabbi Shimon. Ibait ema. So, so a question like this, if right, you see that Rabbi is asking a question according to Rabbi Shimon, that there is no muktzeh really, very limited muktzeh. So why would animals walking around in the wild be considered muktzeh according to Rabbi? So, One possibility is that he considered the animals that are roaming in the desert, basically, and never come into the human uh, ha- inhabited areas. They're considered to be just like raisins and figs that, you, that are drying on the roof. They're totally out of sight, out of mind. Alternatively, just because he's answering a question according to the opinion of Rabbi Shimon, what would Rabbi Shimon say about certain dates? That doesn't necessarily mean he holds like Rabbi Shimon. Maybe he does hold of a kind of muktzeh, and that's why he would consider the desert animals muktzevi by them. Alternatively, maybe he was just answering the rabbis when it sounded like he did hold for muktzeh. Really, he doesn't, but it sounded like he did because he said the didi and muktzeh. I say there's no muktzeh, and therefore even desert animals should be okay. But according to you, that there is muktzeh. Odoli miat at least admit to me that when they go out from Pesach until Mar Cheshvan, that they're out just from the spring till the rainy season begins, that that, the Baitotin, that's not considered a desert animal because it has some connection and kesher to human life because it will come back after the rain starts. And they said to him, Rabbanan, lo midbariot. And the rabbi said, no, that's considered midbariot, that's considered to be desert animal. So we have three possibilities. Either that Rabbi really didn't, really did hold the opinion of Rabbi Shimon, but he held that desert animals are like 
figs and dates that you, and, and raisins that you put on the roof. They're totally out of sight, out of mind. Or he held like Rabbi Shimon, but he said, I'm arguing with the rabbis for argument's sake. In other words, even though I hold there's no issue of muktzeh here with regard to desert animals, I could still di- disagree with them about their definition of desert animals. Third possibility is he really does hold for muktzeh. And even though he was answering a question to his son about Rabbi Shimon's opinion about muktzeh, that doesn't mean he agrees with it. Hadran alach mushilin perod uslika masachat beta. That's the conclusion of masachat beta. Hadran alach masachat beta vadachalan. Datan alach masachat beta vadachalan. Don't need to shame enough masachat beta. Don't need to shame enough. Alma adin global alma datay. Hadran alach masachat beta vadachalan. Datan alach masachat beta vadachalan. Don't need to shame enough masachat beta. Don't need to shame enough. Alma adin global alma datay. Hadran alach masachat beta vadachalan. דתן <laughs> אנחנו מצדצינו, מצדצאי המחה בישראל, כולנו יודעי שמאחב לא מדי תורתך, מאו יבעיתך כמיני מצוותך, כי לעולם הילי. הילי בית עמים בחוקיך לבן לא יבוש, לעולם לא אשכח בגודיך, יבעם חיתני, ברוך אתה אדוני, למדני חוקיך, אמן 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 צל ועד, מודים אנחנו לפניך, אדוני אלוהינו ואלוהי אבותינו, ששמת חלקנו מיושבי בית המדרש, ולא שמת חלקנו מיושבי קרנות. שאנו משכימים והם משכימים, אנו משכימים בדברי תורה, והם משכימים אנו עמלים ומקבלים שכר, והם עמלים ואינם מקבלים שכר. אנו רצים והם רצים. אנו רצים לחיי העולם הבא, והם רצים לבאר שחת, שנאמר, ואתה אלוהים, תורידם מבאר שחת, אנשי דמים ומרמה, לא יחצו ימיהם, ואני אבטח בך. יותר מלפניך אדוני אלוהי, כשם שעזרתן לסיים מסכת ביצה, כן תעזרני להתחיל במסכתות וספרים אחרים, ולסיימם, ללמוד וללמד לשמור ולעשות לו קיים, ולכל דברי תלמוד תורתך באהבה. וזכות כל התנאים. והמוראים ותלמידי חכמים יעמודי ולזרעי שלא תמוש התורה מפי ויזרעי וזה זרעי על עולם. תתקיים בי בית עליך תנחה אותך ושכוחך תשמור עליך והקיצות תהיה תזכירך כי יביאו בימיך ויוסיפו לך שנות חיים אורך ימים בימינה בשמאלה עושר בכבוד אדוני עוז עמיתנו אדוני יברך את עמו והשלום